is What Shall We Do About with Sam Robinson. Hello and welcome to What Shall We Do About, the show that tries to fix the world's less pressing problems. According to OzHarvest, here in Australia, we place over 5 million tonnes of food into landfill each and every year. This is as though one in five shopping bags that we bring home from supermarkets ends up in the bin. And 35% of the average household bin is food waste. But you know what? This doesn't need to be the way. We all know that composting our food scraps is far better than throwing it into the bin, which makes it bound for landfill. But often we just don't know where to start when it comes to setting up our own composts at home. Or maybe we're put off by the idea of decomposing scraps in our kitchens and backyards. So, what shall we do about compost? Thankfully, host of Gardening Australia and all-round legend Costa Georgiadis has stepped up to the plate to show us that composting is not only easy to do, but it's extremely beneficial to both us and the world around us. Costa, hello. Sam, great to uh, great to be on the on the show with you. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks for giving me your time. Um, you've been busy shooting Gardening Australia recently, or what's happening for you? And, and how has COVID affected all of that? Yeah, we've still kept shooting throughout this whole period of time because of my role, where I do openers and closers for all the shows and and all the threading. We call that links in in the sort of TV lingo. Uh, I've had to keep doing that every week so that they can keep compiling episodes. But as it said in, the producers from Melbourne couldn't couldn't fly in and out of Sydney. So we're using Sydney producers to be able to still do stories and the same interstate. Mm. So then as it knuckled down a bit more, we couldn't film with other people. So it was just the presenters doing things themselves. And then Sort of more recently, we've opened it up and I've been filming with with one person, you know, stories where there's one person involved, but not lots of people. Yeah, okay. Um, but down south, of course, that's that's been pared back. So, you know, we're, we're, gardening is an essential service, let's face it. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've pushed on through because in all seriousness, from a therapeutic point of view, gardens parks, open space, bushland, it's been really critical for people's uh, well-being during mm. this time, that's for sure. Absolutely. Now, people people know you as a keen gardener because of your work on Gardening Australia and other, other things as well, but how did you actually get into gardening? I suppose if I, if I had to take it right back to the very beginning, it, it's literally day one I was born into it. Being from a Greek background, food is priority and um, my grandparents my grandfather on dad's side was a market gardener so my first steps were literally crawling around his garden and my my actual first physical steps were on my godfather's farm up in the Bailong Valley near Mudgee so in that sense my connection to to the garden and to the soil and to the earth was really from from my my first my first breath, and mm. uh, that I suppose set the ground the foundation. And then I found it some years later when I finished school and and went to uni and started with a degree in arts. But uh, midway through the first year, I came across a landscape architecture degree and put in for a transfer at the end of the year, and that was it. That was one of the big 
turning points or entry ramps onto my freeway of life and, and I took off and uh, I've been on it since and uh, I couldn't be happier. Do you think, I mean, obviously you, you said you were born into gardening, but do you think there's such a thing as a green thumb? No, no, I, I think like anything you say to someone, are you any good at, at sport? Well, sure, some people might be athletic, but it doesn't necessarily make them better at sport. Others have to work at it. And I think uh, a green thumb is really just a, an assessment of where you are on the scale of things. And some people are, are learning and at the, the beginning of the journey or the road and others, others are further down the track. And depending on who's around you and what your, your general proficiency is in terms of patience and so on, uh, I think everyone can can be a green thumb and, uh, you know, you're going to kill things, <laughs> you're going to fail, you're going to really mess things up and get them wrong. But I, I don't see a, a, a harsh line between right and wrong um, and success and failure because, because my greatest successes have been my failures. So, some of my really big turning points in life have been because of a what others would deem as a failure, but I, I look at it now and I badge it purely as a success. Green Thumb, I, I don't buy into all that because mm. I think it's about passion and it's about interest and engagement and, and enthusiasm and excitement and anyone can be all of the above and it may take one person or one moment in, in the scheme of things that flicks the switch and then hold the phone, look out, put the glasses down, you're away. <laughs> We've already done an episode on this podcast series called What Shall We Do About Gardening? We did that with Zach Mander, who is a big mm, fan of mm. yours. Have you come across Zach before? <laughs> well, I came across him because of his conversation with you and, 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 and there was some tags and links. That's how I kind of got in touch with Zach and realised He's so fired up, but yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, that's that's sort of what I mean. You, you know, like someone who who just embodies enthusiasm, regardless of whether you know you've you've got this heritage or lineage or or or, or formal training. Gardening is such a great. It really is a great leveler because you can get into it and be crazy about it and not necessarily be a fully-fledged ticket-holding horticulturist. Yeah. But that's all right because I think there's your pathway, you know, and you can, you can go down that road and you can, you can enter the building from the front door or you can uh, jump over the back fence and, and, and get in that way. But to me, just get in the garden. Yeah. I've got you on to talk about composting and I guess in this conversation we're going to cover a lot of um, chat about food waste and the importance of composting in that whole thing. Um, at its essence, for, for someone who's never thought much about it, what, what is composting? Composting is the identification of material that was living or once living and that can be broken down to rebuild soil and fertility for things to grow again. So it's really about a cycle of life. Nature has built our landscapes through a process of, of composting. Mm. A tree falls down, it provides 
the mycorrhizal fungi and the material within itself to break itself down and feed the young sapling that came off the seeds that it dropped after it flowered. So there's something really special about composting because I, I see it as hope. It's really an opportunity for all of us. And I, I said this some time ago and I'm, I'm writing about it at the moment in, in, in a book that I'm writing, but I talk about compost and say composting is the only activity where we turn death into life. And when you start to think about it like that, then we all have skin in the game. Mm. We all have vested interests because if we can create more life in our lives, then that's only a positive to our health and well-being. The average uh, punter might think that, you know, we put our food scraps in the bin, it's going to go into landfill and break down there anyway. According to Sustainability Victoria, I'll put a link in the show notes to this study, around half of our household garbage is made up of food and garden waste. Why is it a bad thing that it breaks down in the bin in landfill rather than, you know, in the garden if it's going to break down anyway? Well, I suppose pulling the, the focus back a little, if we want to address the situation of waste, we need to put a new set of goggles on and say, well, it's not actually waste, it's a resource. And if I were to say to you that you were throwing money away, you'd quickly go out to the bin. If I said, hey, I just walked past and I saw a whole lot of dollars in your bin, like you'd be down there quick as a flash. Yes. And that's exactly what it is, right? It's a resource. But for too long, we've been calling it garbage. We've been calling it waste. We've been saying, put it in a, a container where you can't see it. And then some mystical entity comes on a Sunday night or a Monday night. What, what day does yours go out? Sunday. You know? yeah. Sunday night. Yeah. See, we know that. Like, we, we, we know what day the bin goes out, but we don't know what's in the bin. You know, mm. it's kind of. It's kind of this chance to say, yeah, before we talk about what goes on in landfill, we need to recognise that this is a resource. It's, a, it's an incredibly valuable material. But when we don't value it, then we put it in a, a, a container, a receptacle, which gets transported. So immediately that's costing us money. And then we'll blow up. We'll go, oh, bloody council, you know, oh, I can't, they take our bins and, you know, this, they didn't come this week. You know, this is an outrage and, mm. and all that. But if, if, you, if you keep on this big picture I'm talking, well, the council is us. So we're paying money to clean up after ourselves. And if we, if we change that perspective and start seeing it as valuable, we'll actually keep the resource and do something with it because when when it's commingled with everything else and it can't be separated then that material goes out to a landfill site which is a big hole and it basically breaks down and when it breaks down it anaerobically because it's buried it creates all sorts of gases which are a part of the process of, of decomposition and then it creates a highly toxic liquid called leachate and that leachate ultimately will find its way into our waterways and our creeks and then everything drains to the ocean so it will end up in the ocean and and 
And and the other thing is, I've been involved with FOGO, uh, which is food organics and garden organics going into your green bin. And I was involved with the, the Bega Shire when they set theirs up. And I went out and looked at the landfill site that they were preparing. And it costs uh, $1.2 million. So they were building three big holes to put their waste in. And it had a life a lifespan of five years and it was going to be filled in a year and a half. And wow. this was being dug in a beautiful valley. And it's just a leftover that we're leaving for generations to come because that land will just become toxic. Mm. So it's costing us money to pick it up. It's costing us money to transport it. It's costing us money to dig a hole and then it's costing future generations. So that's the reason why when we, we start to understand and revalue waste and rename it as it is, which is a resource, then we can start to go back up the chain into our house and say, how can we change this situation? I'm aware, as you mentioned, some councils are collecting, you know, you get your separate bin for just food waste. I know uh, my sister in Orange has that with their council. If you look at that, like obviously it's a good step forward, but I'm guessing it's still better, even if you have that system in your council, to set up your own compost, right? Yeah, look, it's the same with um, re- recycling as a whole. If we look at recycling and say, oh, that's it, pat, pat on the back, you're doing it. Well, it's basically an endorsement to keep getting plastic wrap things, keep buying single-use products, keep creating binfuls of things every week to get a pat on the shoulder and say, isn't that nice, you you're recycling that. But you saw with the war on waste that unless there is a market for this material, Mm. we end up with stockpiles or it goes under the cloak of darkness to landfill. So here we all are thinking we're doing the right thing. So anything to me is a transition and ultimately it's how we take responsibility. If it was a campsite, if we see our lives as a campsite, like you wouldn't carry all that single-use material with you knowing that it was going to end up in your campsite. Mm. And if, if we think about our world like that, then we say, well, who's bringing this into our house? Who's making me buy this? Well, I am. And, and so we can, we can kind of actually start step-by-step step to reassess. So, so I, I say this, Sam, if you get the food waste out of your bin, in your house, then you don't need a lid on your bin because it's not going to smell. It's not going to attract vinegar flies and insects. Mm. And if you've got no lid, then you can look in there. And if you can look in there, then you can actually separate it because it's not covered in decomposing goop. And that way you can go, okay, that's paper. That's going into the paper recycle, or I'm going to use that when we get talk further down the track, I'll use that in in the compost that I'm making. Uh, These are containers. They can go into the recycle. But actually, before they go in the recycle, let me think, do I need to keep buying 200, 300 and 500 mil containers? Can I buy this material differently? Can I buy it bulk? Can I circumvent this process that is being, that's endorsing recycling? Recycling is a transition. It's part of the journey. But mm. what we need to do is eliminate single use. We need to get back to the point where, you know, we're not buying corn sitting on a polystyrene tray wrapped in cling wrap when it comes in its own packaging 
anyway and I don't need someone to show me the corn. I know it's in there. Like, mm, yes. you, you know, so, so we can think about all these things, buying in bulk. And that way, if we, if we can look in the bin, then we can start to assess things. And, and I sort of say to people, don't go over the board. Don't go so over the top that you intimidate the rest of the family. Just start with one or two things and think, how can I buy it more in bulk? You know, buying 200 gram bag of rice when you can buy more, even buy a big bag and share it with friends and family. And that way you're not making all this waste. There's, there's, there's lots of things, whether it's food, whether it's personal hygiene, whether it's you know cleaning, that's another world. But the first step from that comes if we take the food waste out of the bin mm. and then have a little bench top kitchen tidy so that the food can go straight into that. And that way you begin the journey. So it's plastic free July this month. And, you know, those, those weeks, whether it's, uh, you know, National Composting Week or Plastic Free July, all of those things give us an opportunity to learn more information because there's lots of groups that are sharing info on Facebook and Instagram and on their websites and there's promotions and whether it's National Tree Day or, or whatever it is, there's this chance to, to then validate what you're doing uh, in front of others within your group, then you can you can take it to the next level bit by bit. I'm I'm really up for this process of not diving in the deep end without a vest on, without a life vest on. Otherwise, you'll go under in the rough seas. It's better to start start small and then and then have a crack at at things in a a, a nice doable way rather yeah. than you know just just getting in too deep and putting everyone offside, particularly in a family situation. Costa, full disclosure, I do have a compost in my backyard as well as a worm farm. My wife is the more passionate one. Uh, she's the one who manages it more than I do, but we're in it together, which is great. That is music to my ears. Like, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's one of those things. If there's, a, if there's an agitator, if there's a, if there's a mover and shaker, then, you know, it is enough to bring others in. Mm. And, as long as, as long as you're not zealot about it, then change can happen. But you know, any any of the listeners would know that we don't do change well, and it doesn't matter whether it's family or friend or some bearded hippie freak on the television telling you how you need composting in your life. If if you don't make a nice smooth runway for people to come in and and, and check it out at their pace and their kind of disposition, well, then they're going to turn it off. And unfortunately, a lot of people get put off around compost because it, it involves something that's might seem a bit, that's, that should go in the bin, but that's just a learnt behaviour. Mm. Um, nature's been composting since day one and we're part of it. You know, we we have inputs, we have outputs. I mean, we all we and poo, and in a, in a natural world, it gets consumed and and put back into the system. So, really, if 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 we're talking about waste and if we're talking about food scraps and landfill and composting and anaerobic and de decomposition and microbes and all of that stuff and soil, well we actually have this awesome opportunity to be part of this process that we're embedded in. Like you can't escape from the fact that we eat. 
Mm. And if we eat, we need soil. And if we need soil, we need to feed that soil. And that soil is fed by this constant ecological process that takes dead things and turns them back into humus so that they can grow more life. And yeah. I, I just think we're, we're, we're part of this and it doesn't require too much effort, but some simple infrastructure. And if you get the infrastructure right, then you won't annoy people. Because if you just put your food scraps in a bowl and leave them on the kitchen bench, that's a surefire sign to peeve the whole family or your flatmates or your housemates or whatever, because it'll be covered in those little those little flies mm. and it'll start smelling and then someone will walk in the kitchen, they'll get a nose full of those flies and they'll go, you you hippie freak, I don't want that in here, get out. And, you, you know, you, you'll, you'll polarise you'll polarize your community when we actually want to get them on board. So, so getting, that, getting that basic infrastructure right so that you have a process that people can follow because I'm, I've been stressing in, in, in our chat about transition. Mm. One simple way you can transition even if you don't want to start composting straight away, is just do the separation, get the compost into um, a, a little benchtop container, and then you can go to something like Share Waste. And that's this awesome app that was developed by two, a couple who were frustrated that they didn't have space in their small apartment to deal with their compost and they were used to doing it prior to living in Sydney. And they thought, well, what can we do? And he was a, he was a, a, a computer programmer. And so he wrote an app and they put it up there. And basically you, there's two options on it. You say, I have waste or I want food waste. And so you either become a host for compost because you have composting bins mm. or you say, I've got the food scraps. And, you go online and when you go online, you see your, your area, your house, your street, and then you can see around and about there's little icons on there with compost, bins or chickens or, or a food scrap. And so you go, okay, that person has scraps. This person has a bin. You click on that. It's a, it's a link and you just say, hey, Sam, I, I live, you know, a couple of blocks away. Can I bring you my food scraps? And, and on there you've got written, please don't include these things or whatever. And then I just take it around in, in the email. You might say, okay, this is the address. There's a bucket out the front, tip it in there. And mm. so that way you don't, have to, you don't have to change overnight and then have this extra responsibility of composting. You can actually take it to someone who wants your food scraps. And then you start to build a relationship with them and, you know, they might give you some, some compost back or they might have chickens and share some eggs. And so, so it's really quite a social enterprise as well because – you, you start to meet your neighbours, but you can just ease your way into it and then learn a bit about how they compost and then take that skill and then go, all right, when I have, uh, you know, some time in the next holidays or whatever, I'm going to set up my compost bin. So we don't have to do it overnight. Or you might want to start a small worm farm. Like there's, there's scale yes. that, that you can do. And if you think about it like that, then there's nothing intimidating about it. With the right advice, you don't have to end up with a goopy, vermin-infested, smelly space in your in your garden. You, mm. you can you can avoid that 
with with the right advice from the start and you're going to create gold. Uh, I recall earlier when I didn't have a compost and, and we were going to set one up and you walk into, say, Bunnings and there's so many different options that can be a bit overwhelming. But what we used to begin with was just a a old black garbage bin that we cut the bottom out of um, with a lid on top to set it up in the back corner of our yard um, when we were living in Wagga Wagga. To get set up your own compost, you don't need a whole lot, do you, really? Not at all. I mean, what you just explained there is is really simple. Depending on your, 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 your garden and how much space you have, uh, digging a hole like that and, and screwing a, a bin into the ground is a really simple, simple way to do it. It also means that it's not out of the ground so that the, the liquid will, will drain straight down into the soil. It's pretty much protected from any vermin because they can't dig in because the bin is buried up to half the, the height of the bin. So nothing can get in there and access the food scraps because that's often a problem that people get concerned about. You know, they have an open compost and, you know, cats and dogs and rats and all these things can come in. Mm. By starting off with a nice closed, enclosed system, you can avoid that and then get to know and understand just how things break down and how long it takes. It takes a little less time over the warmer months as it does over the cooler months. But you get to know that and then you start to tweak your your chemistry and you say, okay, I've put this much green material in, say, you know, the, the size of an ice cream container. Well, I need to put at least that and a bit more of brown material so that I don't end up with that gluggy anaerobic and anaerobic is just just means there's no air because if you've just got food scraps and they start to 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 rot they push all the air out and that's when it becomes smelly but when you incorporate newspaper shredded paper sawdust some soil some straw some dried leaves some dried grass all of that we call that carbon or brown well then that holds it apart which allows it to break down aerobically with air so it doesn't smell and you don't attract the wrong predators that, that, that come in for that. But most of all, it's the smell. People, people just go, ugh. But, I mean, I deal with compost that doesn't bother me mm. because that's my indicator. As soon as I get that rancid smell, I go, okay, give it a turn. I give it a turn put some paper in there, bam, it's fine. The smell's gone immediately. Mm. And when you can acquire those those little skills, then you're away and you become the professor of your own pile. Another barrier that people have as far as setting up a compost goes is that knowing what can and can't go in it because not everything can go in the compost, right? Yeah, look, that's a good question. One of the good things about the FOGO where you, your council takes your green waste and your food scraps is you can put everything in there. You can put, just basically scrape your plates Mm. and happy days, it's all done. Where people sometimes come a cropper early on in their compost is they put all their food scraps in there. They put meat, they put dairy, they put all of those things that can be interpreted as problematic, particularly because the meat will attract, if the compost is not secure, it could attract inquiries from vermin. Mm. Now, 
if your compost is secure, and what that means is something as simple, like if it's not dug right into the ground, like your garbage bin, if you have a normal compost bin sitting on the surface, all you need to do is get some aviary mesh and attach it, scrunch it up around the base so it locks it, and then the compost can sit on the ground. Nothing can dig in and under there. Mm. So then what that means is, because you, you mentioned those some of those problematic things like meat. Um, there's also people ask questions about too much citrus and onions because the, 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 the thought that, you know, it breaks down slowly. Yeah. Like anything, the more it's broken down, the more it's chopped up, the easier it is to be eaten and consumed by microbes and then subsequently by worms if it's in a worm farm. So my approach is I, I actually... I have some systems for for dealing with that because just just by wrapping up by wrapping up a problematic item such as meat if you wrap that in paper and put it into the center of the compost it will break down in there and by the time it's broken down there will be no aroma to attract anything mm. your way mm. and for the small amount that it is I actually find it's not a problem if you do it like that and you take those other steps to secure it because it's only been because of the fact that it's attracted things that people go, oh, don't put it in there. I mean, it's all organic material. It all breaks down and it can go in there. Of course, if you're, if you're juicing orange for a six-member family and you're juicing 10 or 12 oranges a day, you want to you wanna be careful that you're not overloading the compost with one material. It's all about balance. And if you're using a, a, a juicer and, and coring out all of the orange, well, one of the best things you can do with that all of that orange is actually lay it on a rack and dry it out or put it in the oven when you've been baking, after you've been baking or after you've cooked dinner, dry those out and then use them as fire starters. They're fantastic fire starters and leave a nice smell in the house or, uh, you know, on the barbecue, whatever. Yeah. You know, there's ways that we can look at these materials, but to get started, security is important. And, and if, you, if you apply those measures that I mentioned, then you'll secure the compost, not have any vermin issues, and then you can start to break things down in a comfortable and competent way where you'll, you'll, feel, you'll feel as though you're on top of it. There's a real joy, I think, Costa, in um, seeing the amount of um, bin space that is saved because of this stuff going into the compost. And, and I think I've got a couple of young kids and I really, really am excited about them embracing composting and teaching them about composting. Do you have a few tips of how we can get our kids excited about compost if we're going to implement it into our family situation? Look, I, I, I totally agree with you about being able to see the reduction in waste. One of the biggest things when when it goes when councils have moved across to FOGO is they actually reduce the number of pickups of your red bin, your your landfill bin. So instead of that being once a week, it goes back to once a fortnight. But your green bin goes from once a fortnight to once a week, but they also cut your bin in half. So mm. you go from 220 to 125 litres. And people blow up deluxe about this, right? I mean, deluxe. This is an outrage. Yeah. I pay my rates. How can you not only cut the volume, but cut the frequency? 
And oh, I've been involved in these programs and seen the letters and heard the phone calls and, and it's like, no, this can't happen. But within two weeks, people suddenly realise that they're now not needing to put the bin out, not once a fortnight, but once a month because they've cut it. They're, they're, they're actually using half of a half of a half mm. because it's, it's being picked up half as often. They're, they're not even using half of the half-size bin that they were using. That's how much of an impact it has. So how would I say do you get the kids involved? Do it in a, in a way that it can be a bit scientific and say, all right, let's weigh how many scraps we've collected. So have a little set of scales and weigh your, weigh your food scrap bin and say, okay, this week we separated 21 kilos and that's gone to the waste. Now let's look in the bin and let's count how many glass items we had or let's count how many plastic bottles there were or let's count how much plastic um, wrapping there was and start to start to record these things because it's only when we record these things that we can really get inquisitive and say, all right, let's, let's make some goals. And then, okay, let's see how long. Here's, and this is a really good one. Let's see how long we can go without putting the landfill bin out. Mm. And you'd be surprised because if you're separating the paper, you're separating the plastic, you're reducing the plastic, then, I mean, my, my entire period of COVID, which is four months now, I have a, a plastic bag inside my kitchen waste bin and it would be one quarter full. Wow. I haven't put the bin out. Seriously? Because I'm not getting anything. The only thing I've – what's happened during this time is there's been an increase in plastic because the usual things that I buy, even at the bakery, I'd normally go with my own bag and just throw bread rolls and things in. They're packing it all in plastic because of – Yes. of regulation. So I'm actually finding that I've got a massive full bag of plastic, but I haven't put the bin out because mm. I don't need to. And, and you know, these, this is where you can make it really fun for the kids because create these little goals and these little competitions. Let's see how many food scraps. Or can we then look at the food scraps and go, well, what if we find a recipe that we can, we can use the skins and make them into chips? Or here's the uh, spring onions Let's cut them a bit higher and regrow them and let's regrow the celery and the celery basin and start to make these these fun little little activities mm. and then go, okay, how much have we put into the compost? How long's it been? And then when when the compost is ready, weigh the compost as well and say, okay, we've made ourselves twenty-five kilos of compost. Let's start to put it on the plants and let's put it on the garden and and you know, they're, they're, there's to me that's that I think is the best way to get the kids involved. Get make it an inquiry uh, activity. Get them excited about some numbers and yeah. numbers. People relate to numbers. Data is power. Data data is knowledge. Data is is like a crowbar because then you can say, well, that's where we were. Um, we've gone a month without putting the bin out. Let's see if we can go six weeks mm. and and. Let's keep analysing what it is that we actually have. And, you know, I find that in a lot of it, you know, I've got all these broken pens, like shocking, cheap, rubbish pens, you know, that are, and then you've got to go in there and go, okay, there's a bit of metal. 
this is plastic, is that recyclable? No, it's not. And, and, and really isolate what it is that we're bringing into our lives that, that no one is willing to take responsibility for. Because mm. ultimately that's what landfill is. It's the old, well, let's just put that out in the back paddock and leave it for our children's children to deal with maybe, but we'll be long gone. So I know that's a big picture statement, but for me, the best way to look at anything is to say, all right, that's the big picture. What can I do on the ground? What action can I take? And composting, composting breeds so many branches of action that uphold the same direction but take you out into little valleys and canisters and down down tunnels of of opportunity because then when you start making compost you start growing soil and if you grow soil that means you'll grow more plants if you grow more plants that means you actually start to get into edibles and if if you're growing your own food then that's reducing your footprint elsewhere and you then know what's in the food so then you get the kids into growing food and start growing some veggies and some salad greens and 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 different things carrots and potatoes so the kids then understand their food and see the taste difference so all of a sudden the separation of the food connects them to the growing of soil which is the growing of plants which is their health and nutrition and we we build this this massive circle that brings it right back around to the bench top and the food scraps but suddenly the food scraps are scraps of plants that you grew and then you go into seeds and say well let's let's try this funky plant well let's grow that tomato or let's get this interesting salad green or or let's start to go into some native plants and grow midgen berries or other edible native plants and then we might go into medicinal plants and say we can make a hand cream by getting this plant and mixing it with some olive oil and doing these things and then you get them into horticulture and once you throw them down the tunnel of horticulture, they're there for life. Yeah, for sure. Costa, I'm so thankful for your time. And um, I'm going to put a couple of links in the show notes. If you want to give composting a go, um, there's some great articles that I've found. But before I let you go, Costa, what shall we do about composting? What shall we do about composting? Just make a start. Don't take it on as a burden. Just start to separate your food scraps at the source, which is right there in your kitchen. If you don't want to start composting straight away, jump on board an app and share your compost scraps with someone else. But once you start to separate your food, you change your whole waste strategy and turn it into a resource recovery outlook. And with a perspective like that, there's no saying what you can do with it because composting rocks. (laughs) It certainly does. Costa, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You can find Costa on Gardening Australia Fridays from 7.30pm on ABC TV or catch up anytime on iView. Costa is also on Twitter at Costa's Garden and on Instagram at Costa's World. I've also put a bunch of articles about setting up your own composts at home shared by Costa himself in our show notes. And a big thanks to you for downloading and listening to this podcast. Do hit subscribe and you'll receive new episodes in your feed every Tuesday morning. And if you enjoyed listening, I would love if you could leave a review because it helps others discover it. You can also connect with the show on Instagram and Facebook at WhatShallWeDoPod and on Twitter at WhatShallWePod. 
What Shall We Do About is hosted and produced by me, Sam Robinson, with production support from Ali Barnes and original theme music by Chad Gardner.